Very excited to have Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief, with us to, to drill down on some politics big time today. Hey, Keith, how you doing? Good, Jody. How are you? Good, thank you. We got a lot to get to here, provincially speaking. But first, the, we, we heard Gordon McDonald just uh, talking about it on the news there. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau testing positive for COVID yet again. Yet again, second time, not unusual uh, or not unheard of for someone to get uh, COVID uh, twice. Uh, many people have got COVID likely without uh, knowing that they've actually contracted the virus because they haven't been tested. So uh, there's, uh, it's just a reminder, there's still a lot of cases of the virus circulating out there. Uh, thankfully, because we have such high vaccination rates, which does afford uh, a, a real high level of protection, uh, the number of people in hospital is dropping, uh, and, and then those are the most seriously ill people, and the people in ICU numbers are dropping as well. So, yes, COVID is still out there. The Prime Minister contracting positive is, is further indication that this virus continues to circulate in our community. Very important that we uh, identify for those who are like, well, I guess vaccines don't work. Vaccines no. do work because testing positive does not equal uh, a, a, a good or bad vaccine, right? No, so vaccines are keeping 40-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 50-year-olds out of the hospital. Uh, it doesn't mean you, you are going to avoid the virus entirely, but um, thankfully the number of people, you just go back a few months, we had 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds dying of COVID-19 uh, or being in the ICU. That's not happening right, right. now because of just high vaccination rates. But you are, you know, I'm triple vaxxed. I've had COVID-19, uh, tested positive, very mild symptoms. Uh, didn't even wouldn't have even tested uh, in until uh, my wife tested positive because uh, she had one right. a little more significant s- symptoms. But uh, I could have been basically again coming to work with no symptoms, even though I was I was uh, testing positive for the virus. And thankfully, I tested and isolated as a result. See, there are the keys. It's so good. You've been a touchstone throughout this pandemic with the facts that everybody needs to just key in on. If you're sick, stay home. You know, that is the big one here. If you if you get the call to be vaccinated, take that vaccine to protect yourself from severe illness, hospitalization or worse. Let's get to the politics of the day. The B.C. Liberal Convention in Penticton uh, topping Baldry's beat really here when we when we get back to this province specifically. If you ask B.C. Liberal MLA for Surrey White Rock, Trevor Halford, it was invigorating mental health whether it's housing whether it's affordability i you know people are are not liking what they're seeing out of the leadership out of victoria right now from the ndp they want change they know that kevin represents that change so we're driving forward I got a note here, uh, Keith, Mr. Halford will be joining us live at 10.30 today, right after Baldry's Beat. Let's dive into what we saw in Penticton over the weekend. Yeah, so there's no question the Liberals have um, elevated their game uh, in the last few months with the ascension of Kevin Falcon to the leadership. Um, Even though Shirley Bond did a a really good job as, as leader between Wilkinson and Falcon, Clearly, the party was waiting uh, in terms of energy and stuff for a new leader to come on, a permanent leader, uh, for now anyways. Um, and, and Falcons delivered some energy and some, it really lifted the spirits of the, of the BC Liberal Caucus, I think. They've been, I've been watching them since 2017. When they lost that election, even though they had the most seats, they didn't have enough to, to get the confidence of the legislature. They were moping around for a couple of years. Then they really got quite... Um, badly beaten in the 2020 election and lost serious ground to the NDP. 
and sort of went into the funks of depression as a result of that. But Falcon, just the last few weeks in the legislature, the liberals have suddenly had some energy. They had this convention with hundreds of delegates, although numbers are disputed between what was uh, really there. But nevertheless, whether it's 500 or 600 or 700 people, there were a lot of people in Penticton at a political convention, the biggest political convention we've seen since the pandemic began in B.C., and they're going to change their name, which is a major, major undertaking. And uh, who knows where that's headed in terms of a eventual electoral success. But changing your name, never a small thing in politics. But that appears to be what they're about to do over the course of the year. One of the things that really peaked for me, which I'll ask Mr. Halford about uh, at 1030 when he joins us live. Um, one of the things that peaked for me was that there was sort of a little bit of, of heckling, a little anti-vax sort of narrative within what was happening in Penticton. And I saw Terry Lake, I think it was, who was uh, tweeting out about, you know, this is a big tent party, um, you know. I certainly disagree with that, but everybody needs to have their perspective heard. Uh, what What are you hearing in that regard? And, and, and from your perspective, what did you see happening in terms of changing the name is one thing, but what are we seeing? Is the BC Liberal Party uh, a different than that that we saw in 2017 or in 2020? Yeah, well, the BC Liberals have become more conservative. There's no question. Just the makeup of the caucus, uh, their positions on things. It, it, it's supposed to be a big tent coalition party. Uh, and it was under Gordon Campbell. I mean, you had you had dyed-in-the-wool liberals such as Colin Hansen, George Abbott, uh, Terry Lake, um, having key cabinet minister positions, along with dyed-in-the-wool conservatives like Kevin Falcon and Rich Coleman, and others. And there seemed to be sort of an equal um, equal conservative, equal liberal um, uh, representation in the caucus. That's not the case right now. The party has drifted to the right to the conservative side of the ledger, and that's reflected in the last election, where outside of Metro Vancouver is generally more conservative attitudes. Metro Vancouver is very liberal in terms of their uh, political uh, persuasion. Just look at the federal election in, in 2021. Uh, 24 ridings, federal ridings are in Metro Vancouver. The uh, federal liberals took 15 of them. Um, so there's a lot more, and again, there's more ethnic diversity in Metro Vancouver. The liberals have been shunted out to the interior and the north, and the conservatism that exists out there is reflected in their caucus. And the challenge for this party to get back into power is to become more broadly based, to encompass, again, both conservative and liberals. And right now they've lost the liberal constituency, and it's interesting changing the name. Uh, may bring it back or it may not, but uh, it's going to need more than a name change for this party to sort of heal itself. It needs to better reflect the demographics uh, and diversity of the community you're trying to persuade to vote for you. When talking about the NDP's perspective on what took place in Penticton, of course, there's been some reaction there. What what is the uh, what is the NDP saying about what what they saw in that in that uh, yeah, so- convention? It's tradition for other political parties to attend other political parties' conventions, and uh, they sit there and have observer status. So the NDP staff were tweeting and sent me some emails um, that uh, they put a news release out yesterday pointing out there were 21 speakers at the convention. Only seven of them were women. Uh, there was a committee or a panel discussion on how to win in cities without any representation on that panel from places like Richmond, Surrey, uh, uh, Langley and the Fraser Valley, places where you basically yeah, the liberals have lost their way and need to regain those seats, uh, and no people of color on that panel as well. So, again, the, the NDP is seizing on the fact that liberals remain pretty weak when it comes to 
the diversity of the party, the um, the lack of youth in the party. Uh, again, this is a problem for the Liberals that emerged in 2017, exacerbated in 2020, and it's going to take more than a name change to uh, to uh, heal this. Also, the NDP saying they counted the chairs in the room; there were only 500. Uh, instead of the 800 the Liberals were claiming there, they said that uh, people, a couple of people shouted out to fire Dr. Bonnie Henry. They sent me, an, there was an exchange with Shirley Bond, and to Shirley Bond's credit, um, she made it very clear that the BC Liberal Caucus supports public health uh, protocols and rules, despite a couple of people questioning that from the audience. So it's not right. unusual in a political party where you have voices from the floor that differ from the caucus. Uh, that's happened at NDP conventions. It happened at the Liberal convention as well. So again, whether whether it's 500 people at that convention or 800, the fact that 500 people attended a political convention is, uh, I think, positive news in a pandemic yeah. where we've just not been gathering. After we have Trevor Helford on at 10.30 today live, we are going to welcome NDP uh, Mabel Elmore to the program to, to get her take on it. As you said, it is tradition for observers from the other party to be uh, at the convention. So we'll have both sides uh, discussing it uh, in the half hour following Baldry's Beat. Let's pivot uh, now to Zane Hack uh, talking from uh, the... Oh, the save old growth boy causing some uh, mm. some frustration for those trying to get to and from where they were going this morning in and around Metro Vancouver. Here is Zane Hack speaking to to the urgency of their mission. We've been writing letters for 30 years. We've been signing petitions for 30 years. We've been doing marches for 30 years and nothing has happened, right? Carbon emissions have gone up by 60%. And our demand is very minor and we're nonviolently disrupting the public by engage and in doing so, we're engaging the public in the debate that we're literally faced with the annihilation of the human race. So, Keith, I want to take a quick pause here, get our break in, uh, get our callers on the line, because we are going to take calls on this. And then I want to get your perspective on what's happening behind the scenes from a government perspective on what is happening with regard to these escalating protests from Save Old Growth. You, you, you game for, for that, opening oh, yeah. up the phones, and then uh, the, the, here's the big tease. Keith Baldry is going to give us the insight on on the Save Old Growth uh, escalation here on the other side of a quick pause. By forcing it, by forcing it, by filling up the prison. That's our plan. Okay, our let plan me, okay, is let me to go to the prisons. That is Zane Hack, the climate activist and coordinator for Save Old Growth on with Mike. And they're just escalating every day. We saw it today, blocking major through fares and arteries, the, the Massey Tunnel. We see it on the Ironworkers Bridge. Keith Baldry, Baldry's Beat continuing here. And Keith, what are we hearing in terms of how the government might or might not uh, react to this uh, escalation by Save Old Growth? Oh, zero chance of the government uh, responding to these uh, people. Already, more than a million hectares of forest have been uh, have been uh, deferred from logging. So the NDP government has taken ex- gone to extraordinary lengths to defer old growth logging, the likes of which we've never seen before. Uh, try telling forest companies nothing's been done. They're quite concerned right. of the potential job loss associated with uh, with these deferrals. I'm not sure these people who lie down on the Ironworkers Bridge or the Massey Tunnel, the Pape Highway over here, uh, realize that uh, the community at large cares more about jobs than about their particular um, cause or tactic that just basically enrages people rather than curries support. But again, 
we've heard uh, them on our sh- the show before talking about this is exactly what they want to do. They want to get people angry and, and to start thinking about these issues in different in ways different than before. But I can tell you, talking to uh, ministry ministers here in Victoria, they have zero zero sympathy or support for these types of tactics, and they're not going to respond uh, to those tactics in the way those protesters want. I mean, there's just zero chance of that happening. Yeah, there's one thing about getting attention by running out onto a soccer pitch uh, dressed up and, and painted uh, versus, you know, blocking a major artery uh, in 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 the midst of, of a rush where people are getting to and from maybe really urgent appointments uh, of any kind. Um, it's it's definitely getting the emotional response. Well, if they're looking for an emotional response, it's are. here. It runs the risk of serious confrontations. We already saw that. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah. exactly what happened this morning, but just a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, there was that confrontation on iron workers where people getting out of their cars and physically confronting these protesters and dragging them out of the way. Today, yeah. I understand on the Tat Bay Highway here, just north of Victoria, there was a confrontation with some protesters, including someone who was in an elevated position, uh, some sort of ladder or something, and was cut down, and he felt something like 15 feet, uh, mm-hmm. which is going to cause some injury. So this is, uh, there's no, not without consequences when you take actions like this, and it's not going to be the consequences you want, which is to suddenly force the forest companies to shut down in B.C., is going to be potentially physical confrontations with people who are frustrated at the tactics. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but they run a real risk of this happening. We've only got a couple of minutes here, so let's get to the phone lines. Peter in Kamloops, you're up first. Welcome to Baldry's Beat. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm thinking that these guys are actually serious about wanting to save the trees. And, you know, I I would like to presume that they are. They should actually put their efforts into raising some money and write a check to reimburse the province and the Indian bands and everybody else for the cost of the, the trees. Stop this stupidness. Mm-hmm. You know, well, lying down and putting your arm in a, in a, in a bucket of uh, quick dry concrete is not very smart. <laughs> well, you, may, you mentioned First Nations and that's a, sort of an unnoticed part of this. There's many First Nations in BC who are active partners and stewards of the forests in terms of extracting them from natural resources. It's their economic activity. And I think a lot of these protesters either choose to ignore that or aren't aware of that, that they are in violation of a number of First Nations rights when it comes to forestry operations in BC. You just don't hear a lot about that, but increasingly as we implement UNDRIP, First Nations are seeing natural resource operations as a means of opportunity to uh, have economic benefits for their members, the likes of which we haven't seen before. And that's a really important piece of this, as you say, Keith, it often gets lost in the headlines surrounding these protests. It's save old growth, which so many people, I, th- I would say even the majority of British Columbians are saying, hey, yeah, you know, we need to protect our old growth forest. And as you said off the top of the last segment when we when we got into this conversation is the NDP has gone to unprecedented lengths to protect old growth. It has more than a million hectares. And I talked to a forestry executive and they're going to have a completely different view of of the fellow who he had on saying nothing's happened in 30 years. Right. A lot has happened in the forest. The forestry operations in BC look nothing like they look like in the 1980s, I can tell you that. All right, that's all the time we have for Baldry's Beat.